Hello, my name is Russell T. Davis, and you're listening to The Police Box. And when I'm not being a professional writer, producer, and homosexual, I love watching Doctor Who, and my best ever, ever favourite story is The Green Death. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the corner of Doctor Who fandom that's most definitely not suitable for minors. It's episode 22 of the Polis Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. <laughs> I'm Dave and Cameron's already got his head in his hands. Yeah. <laughs> it took approximately, what, seven seconds or something? Yeah, yeah. That, that, oh, that's what I was aiming yeah. for, the quick and easy sucker punch just to put you on the back foot initially. Just so we can have that, that sort of gif of me just going, Jesus. <laughs> Listen, anyway. we've got certain traditions to uphold, and that's one of them. Well, yeah, I suppose we better, I suppose. So this is different, isn't it? Yes. Um, it's uh, been a long time since I was uh, under sort of virtual house arrest, uh, no allowed to go anywhere, um, if but for small bits of food every once in a while and essentials. It's been great. We should yeah. point out, and this probably doesn't come across in audio, but we're doing this for the very first time on Skype. Yeah. Uh, so we're all not on the same room for once. Yeah, that's Do you mind when you can you be in the same room as people? I that's mind crazy. that I as well. Yeah. And you had you weren't sort of like consciously in your mind going two meters, two meters, two meters, yeah. and every single time a person coughed, you were just like looking at them with daggers. I remember you could speak to people that you didn't speak to yesterday and you hadn't seen every day for the last <laughs> month. Yeah, no, new people, with new stories, new things to say. When folk had conversation. Yeah. Are you, are you coping well with the isolation then, Dave? I'm alright with it. I've got a garden I can use. I've got a nice view I can look at. I, I've, just, I've got you two to talk to. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, I see. He's nice, occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we're recording this in Skype, so if the quality does dip, then, you know, yeah, we've had 21 <laughs> episodes of that, so, yeah, don't, don't be shocked. <laughs> sound quality, Lee. Sound quality. That's what you mean. <laughs> sound quality. If the sound quality dips. Sound quality, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, the, the, the actual talk will be of Oh, the highest yeah. possible What's grade. Yeah. Well, yeah. We are recording this on the most important day for Doctor Who in 2020, aren't we? Um, are we? With the special mini episode that never was. Uh, the Ten Doctors. Yeah, the Ten Doctors was supposed uh-huh. to be shown in part of the Big Night In charity thing on BBC One tonight. Uh, it wasn't shown, it's gone missing, so Philip Morris is off looking for it. Only after he stopped abusing 20-year-olds on Twitter. Oh, Oh dear. oh dear. Yeah, that's right. I said it. 
that is the that is going to be the only sniff of new doc through we get this year apart from at christmas probably yeah well well it will be because i can't see them bringing back recording and editing at any point soon yeah it's a whole sort of panic over being an 18 month camp well what are you going to do now <laughs> yeah it's about michael Gray's just rubbing his hands together <laughs> Hopefully, I'm suggesting that Michael Green started coronavirus just for this. Yeah, that's it. He's like going, I'll die. I'll kill it off eventually. Again. If I can get Baker, I'm going to get you all. <laughs> Can oh, you imagine? So should we get on with uh, the admin from the last time we recorded way back in uh, 1872 or whenever it was? Yeah. I think it was. I so think that's Queen Victoria's dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I know. Was she bitten by a giant werewolf? We found a new land to the west. <laughs> A couple of world wars. I said a new world, not a new tip. Okay, then. Uh, well, you may or may not remember, dear listener, the last time we were with you, we uh, put Megloss on trial. Uh, what this... was it, Megloss? It was a Megloss, <laughs> aye. Oh, man, that feels like. Christ, Nearly a year ago. ago. <laughs> that was a while. That was a long, long while. We do have a bit of a confession to make, though, because uh, there was a bit of a glitch on Twitter and we couldn't find the original result of the uh, poll we put up to decide whether it was guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Ah. So we re-ran the vote over the last couple of days. Uh, so, we'll reveal the uh, results just now, then. All right, go on. I don't know about you. I think, I think you've been keeping everyone in suspense for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, episode 21 of the post box was Megloss. We asked you if it was guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Uh, the results, guilty, 40%, not guilty, 60%. So, not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who, it's in the, our unofficial official canon. I can't even remember if I was defending no. that or prosecuting that. I got a funny, <laughs> funny feeling Which I was prosecuting want? it. Do you know what? If I could remember, I could tell you, but I can't. I think I, I seem to remember writing notes that just said, a cactus. And that was it. So, I was probably prosecuting that, yeah. Yeah, I think I might have been defending it, but I'm not sure. I think you were. If I remember rightly, you were. Ah, well, I'll take that as a win. Maybe. I think it's a Dave win, that one. I think it's Every a win's a win. Right then, let's get on with uh, this episode, unless there's any other business. Uh, no, let's get no. Yeah, okay. let's get this done. This is the first pair we've done in quite a while. Uh, when's the uh, last pair we've done? Was it Planet of Spiders? That's gone back a bit. Well, I wasn't even there to do Planet of Spiders, so that was... Yep. I was still sending in my recording, so it must have been like a good over two years ago. Yeah, yeah. there, yeah. Okay, well, well, it's between two and four years. We know that for a fact. <laughs> yeah, happy Let's go for three. We've been at this four years and nobody's broke down mentally yet. Well, not because of this. No, no, not because of this. No. Well, yeah, not because of this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on with it. Uh, episode 22 of the Polish Box. We are putting a pair we classic on trial. Other people's words, Dave, not mine. And this I don't episode like the way those were in inverted commas there. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have been impartial. That's why classic. I'm classic. <laughs> I have to keep my own feelings at bay. This is this is a trial. All right, okay, fair okay. enough. All right, my lad. Uh, yes. This time round, we're going to be doing the Green Death. Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time. For y'all have knocked her up. I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. I was not offended. Oh, I knew I had to rise above it all or drown in my own shit. We must face the facts. Coal is a dying industry. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Hail 
is our future now, and the government agrees with me. They have not only given us the go-ahead for our plans, they have promised us money for future expansion. Money for all of us! More jobs! More houses! More cars! More muck! More devastation! More death! Don't they realise the pollution it will cause? man like Professor Jones will never give up. Give me a couple of minutes and we'll be off. Off? Of where? Well, Metabilis 3, of course. I'm not going to Metabilis 3. Where are you thinking of going to? Well, South Wales, of course. Clan Fairfax. You're a doctor, Dr. Jones. I'm not, you know, I'm a biologist. Some sort of gas, maybe. But why is he turned green, man? I have no idea. Except... Except what? Well, that phosphorescent glow, it's almost like you get with putrefaction. That's it, then. Oh, no, after several weeks. He's been dead less than an hour. No, no, no. But, Doctor, it's exactly your cup of tea. This fellow's bright green, apparently, and dead. Better be this three, Joe. Where else would you like to go? You choose for yourself. But I've only got ten minutes. Joe, you've got all the time in the world and all the space. I'm offering them to you. Don't you understand? I've got to go. This Professor Jones, he's fighting for everything that's important. For everything that you've fought for. It reminds me of a sort of younger you. I don't know whether to feel flattered or insulted. So The Green Death uh, was written by Robert Sloman, with perhaps a little touch of input by Barry Letts. Directed by Michael Bryant, uh, star John Pertwee as the Doctor, Katie Manning as Dave Angel, sorry, Joe Grant, Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier Lifted Stewart, Jerome Williams as Stevens, and Tony Adams as Elgin. Who was Elgin? Uh, Tony Adams taking time out from the backline of Arsenal. I was going to just say, yeah, yeah. and then he went on to captain Arsenal. What a, what a deal! Yeah, do, do you not remember he spent the whole episode with his arm raised in the air? <laughs> I, th- I wondered whether that was just a sort of shoulder injury or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's a character trait, I think. It was, oh, was right, okay. a bit of roundness to the role there. Well, I've just looked up Tony Adams, the actor, mm-hmm. and apparently he was in pantomime with David Essex at one point. Was he, was he's he a proper acting think... superstar <laughs> everyone's been in pantomime with David Essex come on I've not uh, yet I remember rightly I was in War of the Worlds with David Essex ah <laughs> uh, the okay, artilleryman as he was yeah I think it was me that did the Ulas. <laughs> right got the viewing figures viewing figures for episode 1 were 9.2 million episode 2 was 7.2 million 7.8 million for episode 3 6.8 for 4 8.3 for 5, uh, and the last episode is 7 million viewers precisely. So, uh, right, Cameron, you're going to be defending this one. Dave, you're yes. going to prosecute? Apparently so. Let's get into it then. Who wants to start? Well, I'll let Dave go. I think he's drunker than I am. <laughs> Considering that you're drinking Ribena and I'm drinking beer, let's hope so. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you're so drunker than me, then there's something wrong with your Ribena. <laughs> oh, where will I start? This is classic Doctor Who, and it's classic, classic Doctor Who. No inverted commas. It's classic Doctor Who. It's You're prosecuting this, right? I thought he was, yeah. I thought he yeah. was prosecuting this. <laughs> but that's the thing. There's nothing original in this. It's classic <laughs> Doctor Who. It's in Wales. It's in a valley half the time. It could be almost any other episode of Doctor Who. There's nothing special that makes this stand out. Nothing special? Yeah. Nothing special makes this stand out? Yeah. Katie Manning leaves at the end. That yep. does not make it special. It's got one of the best companion departures. It's um, the setting is, you know, uh, <clears throat> you, you've. Um, I think it, the, regarding the setting, it's quite in line, you know, South Wales and the mining communities, as to the 
battle between sort of new progressive technology and traditional old school methods. And I think this is a fantastic story that's built around that sort of battle going on in the in the background. Nothing well, memorable about it, Dave. Jesus it, Christ. It's the environment versus the capitalism. Yeah, environmentalism versus capitalism. It's got old versus new. It's got corporations versus, you know, um, the hippie movement. It's got a lot of good stuff. The rights of the individual versus the right of the corporation. Exactly, exactly. The same thing that's in almost every Doctor Who story. But is it not put forward uh, in a sort of much clearer fashion than maybe some others in this case? And I think when you look at the giant maggots being put forward in a clear fashion, isn't good for this. <laughs> yeah, but then, you, can, just, you can see there's war balloons with some rubber bands around them on a stick. You're, once again, when you prosecute these things, Dave, you resort to having a pop at 1970s technology and special effects. And here we are again. I can also have a pop at the acting, if you'd like. <laughs> so we get on to the Venusian I thought Aikido. you were going to anyway. Oh, about, oh, hold on. Oh, oh. Right, I'm going to... In my role as judge, I'm going to have to step in here. Are you having a go at Venusi and Aikido? I think he is, my lud. <laughs> Explain I'll... yourself, Cummings. Well, it's not actually the Aikido itself I have a problem with. It's the really, really obvious stunt actor with different coloured hair. <laughs> that's not bad specifies, that's just laziness. Does that mean it's now established canon that whenever the Doctor gets into a fight, his hair changes colour? It could be. I think it I should mean, be, shouldn't it? Yeah. It's a bit like when he's in Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> he goes. Ah. The doctor goes super cyan, and then that's why his hair changes colour. <laughs> Keep up with the times, guys. Come on, have you not read? The, have you not read the Doctor Who manga? <laughs> I, I don't doubt that there is Doctor Who manga. And I, I was going to say I'm joking as the existence of that, but I bet there is somewhere. <laughs> there are darkest corners of the internet where the most terrible things are bred. I did manage to find um, some Sherlock manga uh, a few months ago. So I'd imagine that Stephen Moffat, if he was willing to license that, he's willing to do Doctor Who as well. Now, did you happen to find this Sherlock manga under your pillow where you'd put it? <laughs> of course. Because <laughs> you'd drawn it. <laughs> oh, I, love, I love this. 15 minutes in and it's got personal already. Yeah, I knew it was going to. I was preparing myself all day for this. I was like, Dave's going to get low down and personal really, really quickly. And here we are. Well, yes, I do always. But I'm also honest with it. Okay, should we start to start this episode then? Uh, yeah, let's protest outside the chemical works gates uh, with the miners against the uh, corporation bigwigs. More donkey jackets on display here in an early Dixie's Midnight Runners tribute act. Of course. See, I I don't think we need notes. We can just all use your notes. You can read out your notes and your pre-prepared notes. I have very few notes. This was your remit. <laughs> you two were supposed to do the notes, not me. You have very few notes. How many notes do you actually have, Lee? Five pages. <clears throat> yeah. Five sketchy very notes. Few. And most of those are just, like, jokes that go beyond the pale, really. So, not any different to normal, really, is it? No. I was going to say that's usual. And being five pages doesn't mean much because you have to write quite big when you're using a crayon. <laughs> so we've got the protest going on outside the gates and then there's a really uh, TV thing that happens where in the middle of a crowd of really angry miners, the one lone dissenting voice that pipes up gets the attention of the guy giving the speech. Who's that man there? Yep. Who's that long-haired hippie? Who will come into it in a big way later on. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, <clears throat> that's our, first, uh, our first glimpse of Corporal Jones. <laughs> but here's the thing right 
if he's been living nearby for months doing his mushroom research, surely the big boss of the com- company would know who he is. I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this feature side the factory. Who's but that random the, bloke? But for the benefit of an audience who've just come into this story afresh, Dave, it's not exactly going to be very great if he goes, oh, I, him. But, and then but, leaves it at that, is it? So you have somebody speaking to the big boss before he makes his speech, called, just so you know, that post is Corporal Jones is here. It's called expedition. Get used to it. <laughs> There's quite a lot of it in Doctor Who, you may have noticed. Yeah, there's a lot of it in many stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah move the story forward. What it's called, you know, you, you can't really assume that people just know stuff via telepathy. Character development, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that thing. So I, I mean, that this is where we find out that uh, global chemicals are up to nefarious means and no good, and it's going to get everything that the uh, people in the nut hutch are fighting for, uh, which appears to be corn. It's along the short of it, really, isn't it? So occasional bit of tofu. Occasional yeah. bit of tofu, yeah, not too much. Homegrown uh, no. mushrooms. So that sets the scene from there. We go back to Unity HQ, and uh, the Doctor's doing a bit of tinkering with the TARDIS, as one does. Now we can actually go places in it again. <laughs> Yeah, he says he's fixed it. I mean, the chameleon circuit's still knackered. But hey, he's fixed it. So he's not fixed it. Yeah, but it's the the whole deal that he's never going to bother fixing the chameleon circuits. But he's not fixed it. Because look at what the job. Look at what the, you know, the the new doctor they introduced in the last series when uh, she fixed the chameleon circuits and it was a house and everyone went, oh, the windows are a different shape to the top ones to the bottom floor. Uh, um, So why would you bother? I hate to correct you here, Cameron. I hate to correct you. (laughs) I think you'll find they actually introduced at least one new doctor, if not hundreds of new doctors. Well, yes, there was a, there was a few. I don't know, fourteen million. Everyone's had a go at being the doctor. Yeah. Now, you know, at, at the end of the coronavirus outbreak, we will all be the doctor. All of us, yeah, because we'll all yeah. there'll be just enough of us to live in a wee tower in the top of a city. So <laughs> yeah, that's because there'll be fourteen no. of us left. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so it's in this scene we start to see the seeds of Joe Grant's departure being sown. Uh, she's getting all uppity and uh, angry about whatever global chemicals are apparently up to. Uppity, that's a very interesting choice of word there. Yeah, it was the first one that came to mind. Angry, animated. She has to. She chooses to go to uh, Lanfairfach rather than Metabilis 3. Mm. And judging by the fact when you see the sort of five seconds of the Doctor walking around Metabilis 3, she's probably made the right choice. Yeah, it does get the sort of impression of a bad day out at Whipsnade Zoo, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's yeah. not um, I, It's not really a great kind of occasion, really. I don't think it's quite what it was hyped up to be. Do you think it's got a sign outside that says less interesting than a coal mine in Wales? <laughs> 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 Abandon hope, all you who enter here. Well, you yeah. see that it was actually filmed in a small quarry around the corner from the pit. They just put a blue filter over the lens. Uh, so you know, it's, that, you're, you're pretty, you're pretty near the mark with that comment. Apparently, we didn't enjoy filming that scene because apparently a whole load of local kids got wind of the filming taking place, so they all rushed down to watch it and then just spent an entire however long it was filming of that scene, taking the piss out of them for dangling off a two foot ledge and pretending it looked terrified. So he really enjoyed the filming of that. Oh, it's filmed in a quarry in Wales, you see. That's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> nice wee bit of blue filter on it. It'll be fine. So at this point, we've got the, uh, Joe threatening to go off to Lanfairfach and uh, the Doctor try to tempt her to come away in space and time with her and her yeah. family. Yeah. yeah. I've, fixed, I've fixed the TARDIS. We can go anywhere. But I've just got this one thing I've got to do, this one errand. Do you want to come with me? No, thanks. Like, it's not a big schism. <laughs> 
It is a cool wee setup for later on, though. And it does, when you think about it, does it not siege into Planet of the Spiders quite well later on? Yeah, this is kind of the start of uh, that whole arc. That I, I, I see, I call it an arc. That's been extremely kind. Well, it's, it's more of a sort of twig, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> admit, it's, it's something you pick up in this episode and I forget about for 11 months and it's then the, hastily rewrite it into Planet of the Spiders. Nebulous 3 is kind of like the set. It, it, it's the kind of immediate setup for Joe's departure and also the kind of long-term setup for jumper tweed leaving yeah. yeah they maybe didn't know that at the time i'll grant you but it's quite neat that it's kind of this it, it might seem like a bit of a throwaway five minutes at the start if they never referenced it again it would have been pretty pointless yeah but it had to been everything they had planned because roger delgado died then that's a nice yeah. way of tying things up really isn't it so exactly yeah. exactly so it was um I, I quite like how you know they, they tie it back to metabolist three in the end so yeah bonus points for foresight <laughs> in it dave uh no i knew it was going to be difficult yeah it's almost, it's almost like the podcast is us two arguing <laughs> if things work out the way you planned then it's foresight if things just happen to work out despite what you've planned it's not foresight that's just being lucky so it wasn't foresight that magically led into when he left but when you look luck. back when you look back, is it cool? Yeah, it's cool. So therefore, it's fine. You could almost say it's a foresight saga. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I like how he's about to swig his wine in victory. Look at that. He's cracked that <laughs> yeah. joke. He's big wine. He's swigging it down like that going... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for that for joke coming down my bourbon. I'm waiting for the cigar to come into shop going... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Joe and the Brigadier head off down to South Wales while the Doctor goes on a pleasure jaunt around the Metabales Fair or the, around the corner from the pit itself. Uh, they end up bunch, they end up uh, bumping into a stereotype that drives a milk float. <coughs> and from there it's on to the nut hutch where we first meet Professor Jones. Yeah, although we, she doesn't know he's Professor Jones. They do that whole thing when she first arrives of her talking nonsense looking for the Professor ignoring this long-haired welsh hippie it's very very formulaic the way they meet is it well how would how would you have had them meet then dave uh she might have turned up at the protest when he was talking shouting at the boss man and seen him and been impressed by him you wouldn't have to go into the whole stereotype of professors being old she could just see him as the idealistic driven man that he is it wouldn't have been a very personal first meeting though would it because these are the these two characters are going to fall in love and disappear up the Amazon. Yep, that's not a euphemism. <laughs> anyone anyone decides to jump in there. <laughs> Done this too long now. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. They're both giggling away at themselves, rocking back and forth in the chair, clutching the whiskies. Um, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, you need these. You need this first meeting to be just the two of them. You can't have it just across, you know, in a crowd. Yeah, it just feels like a very... For me, it's a very one-sided power dynamic. Because she's completely unaware of what's going on. But we can see it coming, and he knows what's going on. Yeah, but is it... The whole reason that... I feel a bit sorry for Joan, but I think we've discussed this before, is the fact that it's kind of just blatantly said outright that she's not really got any great ability of anything whatsoever and she's just there as a favour working for UNIT. So therefore it kind of like, it does kind of enhance that feeling that she's 
blooming useless, knocking things over as she walks into this room and all this kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on in this episode. Like, she knocks over the Bunsen burner in the lab, and then later on, she knocks some of the scenery over in the pit. It's like, you know, Katie Manning method actor, you know. So it's yeah. like, just, that's not like acting as Joe Grant, that's just her normal everyday life. Yeah, because she's short sighted as hell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I know my optics. There is, some, there is some attempt to build some sort of kind of hints of an attraction between the two of them, though. Yeah. There's all I these think... little glances to each other in, uh, in the first episodes and try not to catch each other's eye and things like that. So you can't say it's one sided, really, Dave. I'm sorry, is Cameron defending this or are you defending this, Lee? <laughs> I'm just offering a view that other I'm people just, might think. I'm just a way to get another drink, guys. You just can't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got both of you on my screen and there's not really much difference between what I'm hearing from you, I'll be honest. <laughs> I like Cameron and defend it then. What do you think, Cameron? <laughs> oh, well, um, you can't really call this a one-sided conversation. <laughs> no, I, I, I like this first meeting. I think it, it shows up that, you know, that um, Joe isn't the most organised of per- people. They need to have, they don't fall in like instantaneous, like gazing across the room, like stars shining, like, you know, love of their lives kind of thing. There's going to be a wee bit of a mountain to climb here. That's going to get covered in the next five or six episodes. So therefore, they've got something to work to. Obviously, you know, he starts off by calling a silly goose. And, um, you know, it's... I, I didn't, didn't know he was Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you remember the bit where she, got, she gets called the silly goose, bork, bork, bork. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I'm birdie, sorry, birdie, birdie, birdie. I have to keep stamping down on funny accents because I've heard all of Lee's. And none of them are good. <laughs> Wait until you hear my mouth later on. Oh, God. That sounds like a really weird threat. <laughs> Can you imagine? So while all this uh, rampant flirting is going on at the notch, the Brigadier's off at Global Chemicals. And this is the first uh, point where we meet Stevens. I'll take a his proper name. Stevens. 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 <laughs> <Anymore>. <laughs> this is about getting a little more insight into what Global Chemicals is up to there. Claiming yeah. that our planet can produce 25% more petrol and diesel fuel, given the quantity of crude oil, uh, only produces a minimal amount of waste. Yeah, yep. really? Yeah, all the good stuff. All the good yeah. stuff. They're a um, company trying to make more money. Yeah, essentially, and that's the, the, the kind of undercurrent of all of this. Are we not like liking the fact that there's not really one set bad guy in this story at all and it kind of ramps up you know at first you think that stevens is going to be the bad guy and then later on we found out it's not him obviously and then later on that it's not actually them either yeah because because you think it's going to be the process that's evil that needs stopped and then it's the people using the process that needs stopped and then the process doesn't actually matter anymore because it's some other thing that's being evil yeah Yeah. but we'll we'll cover that later on but i think it's it's good that there's a there's a there's a variety of Near dwells and evil doers in this. Yeah, there's a multi-layered aspect to the story. Yeah, You're exactly. Right. Uh, it's quite confused. There's not a clear plot line. I like the way you've made that point, Cam. <laughs> I don't play those words left my mouth, Dave. <laughs> I didn't say it was a direct quote. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, I see. I see. A little bit of artistic license. Yeah. I've just realised I might be looking a little bit Bond villain on the camera here because the cat's sat on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> So, I could see, I could just see you stroking something off camera. I didn't want to. Yeah, up. that's what I was a bit kind of like. I really hope this kind of, <laughs> our context. This might look a bit strange. This I'm, I'm really glad it's the cat's ear that's popped up on the bottom of the screen there. That's good. <laughs> there we go. Sitting there in this gloomy room with Peter Davison on the wall, stroking away his thigh. 
Um, aye, so cracking on. Yeah, um, yeah. I can also yeah. point out that Global Chemicals is a really lazy name. What we need is a big chemical company. Uh, global right, well, Chemicals? That'll do. I'll, if you, whenever anyone says, oh, that was a terrible thing, I always have to ask, well, what would you do? I mean, the thing is, it's not even the first iteration of the name. They went through Universal Chemicals and a couple of other alternatives before they oh. finally landed on that one. I know that most of the evil chemical company names have already been taken in their trademark. <laughs> yeah, you know, big evil chemical. Gonna just burn you chemicals. Yeah. Um, keep away from the children chemicals. Happy friendly chemical company. <laughs> Happy friendly chemical Hi, them. All, yeah. the, all, the, all the more important names have been taken, yeah. Yeah, it, it just seems a bit on the nose, global chemicals. Like, it's... It's simple and to the point. And is it really, really that relevant in the story that you're going to get annoyed about it? No, but it, it just breaks the, it breaks my train of thought a little bit. Because uh, Global Chemicals, it almost sounds like a placeholder name. And they just never bothered working out a real name. And they I just, just went don't with think it. it's that important. And then, and, and give me an example of what you would have had instead. Then, uh, Off the top of my head, I've no idea. Well, if you've no idea, then you can't say, oh, it's terrible and have no replacement for it does it no, not need to be a really lie. nondescript sort of company name anyway to mask what's going on inside global chem incorporated there if you, you call it evil co then you're probably going to get a bit more of a sort of on the nose idea of what's going on in there global chemicals are be, nice and nondescript there should just be a big sign outside according to dave that just says gonna be maggots <laughs> <laughs> that's that building for that chemical works that um gonna be maggots corporation <laughs> So that'd be a bit of a spoiler, wouldn't it? Uh, and all the, people, yeah. all the people in suits should just change their name legally to Mr. Evil. Just so that everyone knows. <laughs> like Texas Tom. Yeah. <laughs> just with little name badges going, bloody evil. There's a reference for the teenagers. <laughs> yeah, there's a reference. Yeah, exactly. I had someone ask me that once when I was working in a, a, a gift shop in Gretna Green. They, they saw my name badge and they went, oh, do they call you... Uh, do they give you a name badge with Cameron on it just to give you a Scottish name because you work in Scotland? I was just I uh, just amazed to sat there just shaking my head going, no, nah, they gave me that name because I'm Scottish. <laughs> and genuinely this confused them. Moving on. Uh, names are important. <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't called after a, a chemical company. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're telling us, S.O. Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> that's the middle name. Yeah. I think you'll find it's pronounced Exxon Phillips. It's just fine. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, while all this is going on at Global Chemicals, we then get to the mineshaft where we meet more stereotyp- stereotypical Welshmen. Yep. Uh, so at this point, we find out that something's going on down the mine. Which also isn't a euphemism. <laughs> no. Something's going on down the mine. I think it's maggots. That's really not a good euphemism. No, we've already had one dead person down the mine, haven't we? Right, right at the start. At who this point, up- yes. Turning yeah. a lovely sort of fluorescent green colour before carking it. Yeah. And um, then there's a whole thing about how, you know, Stevens says to his little kind of minion dude, like, no one should go down the mine. Um, because there's something down there, much like Trapdoor. Um, <laughs> there's one for the teenagers. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's it's it, we're setting up here. It's nice and sort of steady, steady burn going on here. I like this. Yep. And then they go down the mine to meet Bart. Yep. 
Yeah, I can't remember how this episode ends. Uh, right, this episode ends. Uh, Joe arrives at uh, the mine, and all the kerfuffle kicks off with the the trap miner. She demands to go down and investigate. That's so the one. Her and Bert hop into the lift, down they go, and then there's a problem with the cables. And so they're going to fall to their inevitable doom. Yeah. Yep. 400 metres below the ground level. Fall to their inevitable doom, even though there's five parts still to go. Exactly, of course. Well, there was going to be uh, one way of writing Joe out, then it might have been that. Um, but, you know, falling to her death down a mine shaft is probably not really ideal. Um, <clears throat> After three years on the show, she ends up a sticky mess down the bottom of a shaft. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and Dave's just That's itching to say something. <laughs> Dave's itching, I can see this. I'm not itching. It's a rash. <laughs> so, yeah, this first episode is good at setting up the location. It's good at... Um, you know, as we've already discussed, it's the polar opposite, you know, the big corporations versus the traditional old ways thing going on. And um, we have a doctor who is seemingly buggered off from the whole situation, but is now obviously on his way back anyway to start the whole thing as far as he's concerned. Because he's a time traveller and he can do that. Yeah, he can. Yeah, yeah of course he can. Um, so good first episode. Sets the tone nicely. Likey, likey. <laughs> Dave, you want to come back from that? What, what do you mean come back from that? Oh, come back to that then. That's do you want to, right, to present your Mr. thoughts against the partial sitting there in the middle? <laughs> come back to speech. I, I, I don't know how you're going to come back from that. <laughs> harsh, mate. Really harsh. And you know what? In all that time of waffling, I still haven't decided how I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> we'll move on to episode two then. I think uh, we should, yeah. Th- there's nothing wrong with episode one that I haven't already said. Some of the naming of things is lazy and almost placeholder. I like one of the Judy that he's run out of ideas already. <laughs> this, no, we're discussing it by episode. The naming is lazy. The setting is the same as always. I found the power level dynamic a bit unusual in the meeting of the lovers, but that's fine. You think that's good? You go for it. Episode two, the next 25 minutes. So that starts with uh, Bert and Joe plummeting down the mine shaft, and you notice that dirty old Bert gets cops a wee bit of a feel at this point. Um, I didn't notice that, but I don't keep an eye for that kind of thing. No, it's, it's fairly obvious. There's a bit of a reach. Is it um, as what me and Kyle have referred to a, a baker? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> me and That's Kyle have been foreshadowing as... the next incarnation of the Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a wee bit of yeah. <laughs> the moment has been prepared for. <laughs> so yeah, they end up at the bottom of the shaft, uh, and miraculously, miraculously, like it was never going to be in any other way, they're okay. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. So it's this point they go off to uh, investigate the mine and see what's actually down there. Yeah. Off we go with lots of glowing lights and sickly green stuff going on, and including one bit of like green slime, which is like you wouldn't really touch that, you wouldn't really touch that, but he does anyway because he's <laughs> going to die in Doctor Who. Yeah, don't know what that is down the mine. I'm just going to touch it. Yeah, right. Then. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Oh, yeah. Thing to do, yeah. It does seem like a sensible thing to do. Yeah, it seems a little bit crazy, and in reality, anyone in that position would probably just go, <laughs> "Yeah, you're all right." But um, I suppose if he's going to die in Doctor Who, it's going to be that yeah. way. And all my 30 years working down the mine, I've never seen anything like that. I wonder what it tastes like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. What a shame. Yeah. Don't give it a lick. Yep. Ah, uh, the Polis Box Mall. <laughs> so meanwhile above ground frantic efforts are going on to rescue the two of them uh, it's this point that Pertwee it's Pertwee sorry I've got my notes it's this point the Doctor meets yes. uh, Professor Jones which is 
very much gives off the air of the angry da meeting the daughter's new hippie boyfriend. Which, um, which it largely is. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's not a bit of mutual appreciation going on. Well, not mutual appreciation because he doesn't know, you know, Jonas doesn't know who he is. But, you know, the doctor kind of goes, oh, I, I did like your paper on the blah, 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 whatever it is he says. Yeah. So at least it's not, at least it's the doctor kind of acknowledging someone's intelligence. There's, you know, a temptation up until this point of the doctor just being like, kind of going, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a time traveler, don't you know? You, you're just the pet human I bring along with you, you daft woman. But yeah. now, here's a man <laughs> yes. with intelligence. I can respect a man. <laughs> yes. So it kind of it kind of raises the Professor Jones up a couple of levels because the Doctor's actually a aware of him and b is sort of respectful of his work, but not necessarily pleased about it. Not necessarily, no. But then you know we've got a little bit of friction going on. But you're right, is it? Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. It is a bit like Angry Dar meets the Doctor's hippie boyfriend. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. (laughs) Does he not give him a really backhanded insult compliment as well? It's like that was really good writing for somebody of your time. Or like somebody of your age. I think it's someone, someone of your age. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say it's like gonna go. Yeah, it's, it's really, really intelligent for someone of your age. Yes. Yeah. But doctor, I'm not that old. Yeah, I know. I'm in the age eleven, prick. <laughs> <laughs> that was the line that was removed from the original script. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one they just ad libbed. Yeah. It's a very backhanded insult. So at this point, they realise they're going to have to go off and get some cutting equipment to uh, try and find a way down to the mine. So off they go to Global Chemicals to find out that there's no cutting equipment there. Honest, Governor. There never has been. No. Yeah. Nearest is in Cardiff at the coal mining board or something like that, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because there's only two places in Wales. Yeah. There's, there's only... Cardiff and in this little village. But yeah. that's only two places everyone can pronounce. That's <laughs> the know. only two places anyone comes back from. Pretty much. I mean, they either are young in North Wales, so you know, we don't we don't go to Bangor. Go into Bangor and everyone goes, show me your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> don't go out on the moors. Go out on the moors if you want. I'll see you out there. Sleep well. <laughs> so at this point, now we need to find a way to global chemicals. So a distraction is needed. Uh, the Nut Hutch gang, because we'll call them that now because I like something out of Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah, with a with their van powered by sunflower oil or something. <laughs> Sunflower oil and hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they go off to the front of the uh, factory to create a diversion because, you know, what's, what else is going to cause a lot of security panic but a lot of hippies in a one-man band? But that's it. There's like eight of them and a van turn up and the guy goes, I need all the security we've got here right now. <laughs> Look out, that man's got a kazoo. I need backup. <laughs> what if they lean on the lever? <laughs> Are you suggesting they should have just shot them or something? <laughs> No, because ammunition's too good for them. <laughs> they, they should have just let them drown in their own smugness. <laughs> what, before, as they approach the gates, they all just spontaneously die. Yeah. From their own grin. Look around and go, oh, aren't we doing well? Protesting against the man. Then the tops of their heads fall off. Because they're smiling <laughs> so much. I'm just imagining something like a scanner and they all just explode. <laughs> So while this uh, really yeah. effective distraction is going on, you know, one guy with a drum and some hippies, uh, the doctors managed to source a cherry picker from somewhere. Yeah, which the security don't notice. There's like an old bloke driving a cherry picker up to the fence, but there's a bloke with a whistle. Oh no! <laughs> it's from the BBC props department, come on. 
and how come this plant has got security cameras everywhere with a voice telling people what it's seen on them, but they didn't bother pointing any at the fences? Seems a bit lax. Well, obviously, they're only used to having eight members of a hippie commune going <laughs> protest. <laughs> so the budget's not that high for security, is it? Well, it seems to be because they've got about 15 security guards, all of whom look like bouncers carrying ah, crunchings. It was too uh, it was too early for the minimum wage. They're all just they're all just pay like paid in like beer and rare bit. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm just going to take this off the list. That's well stereotype number four. If you're playing along at home, <laughs> Jace will be loving this. So Pertwee's in the compound now. Uh, disappears off down some alleys as we look at some pipes. Mooches about a bit, and then there's a punch up. Make your own cottaging joke for those storylines there. <laughs> there's not even a punch up though. It's it's a fight, but it also involves social distancing because they never actually look like they're anywhere near each other. I think you'll find, Dave. If have you ever been a victim of Venusian Jaikudo? Not that I can talk about in a public forum. That thing can hit you from three miles away. <laughs> Trust me. You know, you stand in the way of one of them chops, and you know, even though you're in the next building, you'll still hear about it next week. All right then. Yeah. So the doctor decides he's going to fight the security team once he sneaked in with his cherry picker, that he didn't know how to work. He turns up on his cherry picker, then he has to work out which lever does what. You'd think that maybe, being the hyper-intelligent being he is, he would have worked out the buttons before he drove up to the fence. But he sneaks in, and he picks a fight. They didn't have cherry pickers on Gallifrey, obviously. Because well, they, elev- they, they elevate themselves anyway through their sheer natural regard. So they everyone cherry disregard never build it. That is going to be the episode title right there. (laughs) They didn't have cherry pickers on Gallifrey. (laughs) I'm making that note. I'm doing that admin right now. Sorry, Cameron, on and you go. That's okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's no problem. There's there's probably no such thing as a cherry picker on Gallifrey. I think that could be the name of our indie band. Cherry pickers (laughs) on Gallifrey. The cherry pickers of Gallifrey. And we'll have two more from cherry pickers on Gallifrey later in the (laughs) programme. So yeah, so your fault so far with episode two is the doctor can't work a cherry picker. Carry on, Dave. No, and I like the way you paraphrased there. That's fine. That's not what I said. I said it could have worked out how to work it before we got there. The security are either really, really, really oversensitive or really crap. There's no middle ground. They see these hippies coming up and get all of security there. But if all of security is at the gate, who is it the doctor's fighting with? The guys that were on lunch. <laughs> Having their rear bit. Yeah, exactly. Keep up. Yeah. God, <laughs> come on. But yeah, the, the doctor decides to have a fight with, is it three or four security guards? I think it's four. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a fair number anyway. Enough for a good old dust up. And, and not to sound a bit anti Welsh racist here, but they all look the same. Okay, they've all got kind of Kevin Keegan afros and lamb chop sideburns. It was the 70s. I know it was the 70s. It was 1973. Well, you're complaining complaining that four men look the same because they've all got big, massive sideburns and Kevin Keegan here in 1973. It's not exactly a shock, Dave. That's not why I was complaining. I also wasn't complaining because it wasn't in high definition. I know that time moves (laughs) on. (laughs) I was complaining because it wasn't a believable fight. Even if he knows Venusian Aikijutsu and all of that, what do you want? Steel pipes? Razor gangs? 
What do you want? Smashing each other over the head with chains? I, I want one of the scary guys with three glass balls going, Doctor, come out to play! <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to get that. Well, and the, uh, also very 70s. All the security guards are dressed for like a baseball game with face paint on. <laughs> yes. That's a, or they're all wearing head-to-toe denim. Yeah, that's what you do. They all dress, they, they all dress the same as well. And you, know and you just wanted a Doctor Who version of West Side Story. Oh, can that you comes, imagine that? Well, that comes with its own risks because Barrowman will want to be involved. He would. Oh, definitely he would. Barrowman? Oh, yeah, but it would be a struggle because he'd want to be the villain. But he couldn't Maybe. be the villain. Can you imagine that? Okay, by me and Gallifrey. Okay, by me and Gallifrey. <laughs> Did he have cherry pickers and Gallifrey? <laughs> right. Bugger the podcast. Let's get this play written. We're going to make millions. What did you do during isolation? We wrote Doctor Who, the musical. <laughs> no. I think it has to be Captain Jack, the musical. Oh, no. No. Barman would be right well in for that. But we shortened it to just Captain Jack. Oh. And, oh, and all of his gang would wear baseball caps. Cap and Jack. That would be it. That's his crew. I've got it now. How Have you got a side job with Big's Finish? <laughs> Because this is like a four-volume CD box set. See, that idea has actually got legs to it. The problem <laughs> is they're John Barman's legs, and they're in high heels. <laughs> Those fish nets cost money. Oh, they do. Oh, they do. Anyway, uh, back to Wales. <laughs> yeah, back to Wales. And back, back, back to the recreation of Street Fighter 2 going on in the middle of the, uh, the, the chemical plant. That's probably what most people think of when they think of... John Pertwee is the James Bond of Doctor Who because you've got him commandeering vehicles there's gadgets, there's industrial espionage going on, there's a punch-up followed by a quip. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I love oh, how ridiculous that scene is. It's, it's how happy Pertwee is just to be having a square go for somebody. It's a bit uh, of fun. I will say in the interest of fairness and honesty, I did like the fact that when they were stuck down the mineshaft and the Doctor was working out how to get them back, he worked out with pen and paper. None of this just waving his sonic screwdriver nonsense. He actually did the science, which you don't get as much of these days. Later on, he's waving the screwdriver around, but he did some science with Corporal Jones, yeah. which I thought was quite nice. Yeah, the really dad and the boyfriend are working together. Yeah. Just about. He gets hauled in the office, doesn't he? Ah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's the first time he meets uh, Stevens, anyway. And somebody gets the Beats by Dre headphones put on them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Headphones that are used in processing. They're like, well, let's look at the facts here. They're known to induce headaches, disorientation, distress, and anguish. So the only logical conclusion is that they must be playing puddle and buds from Nirvana cover over that those headphones. It's <laughs> <laughs> the oh, only thing you can think of. Nirvana cover. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> you say that. Oh well, I'll play it in at this point in the podcast and let people decide for themselves.
this is where the listening fizzling figure just drops off. That would infer that it's at a level already. <laughs> no, you see, they might actually listen to the end of the episode. Because when I listened to Puddle Mud Cover, I couldn't stop listening. And then after about a minute, I didn't have the energy to do anything. <laughs> I just thought, I, I don't want to be in this world anymore. And I listened to the end. So it's a sedative quality. <laughs> just... <laughs> uh, yeah, and much the same way as an overdose of morphine has a sedative quality. <laughs> so apparently he's in the office, he's met Stevens, he's probably getting a first inkling that something not right is going on here. Yes. Yeah, there's something there's something awry. There's something up. I say there's people uh, sort of obeying orders from somewhere upon high. There's always a bigger boss. They were only following orders. So we get towards the end of episode two here. Uh, eventually, Doctor and uh, who is it goes in the mind with him? It's uh, not Bert Seller, comedy Welshman, isn't it? Yes. Whose name I've forgotten. Yeah. Uh, we'll call it. We'll call him Bryn. <laughs> <laughs> it would be on the Wikipedia page if anyone had it open. <laughs> So the doctor, somebody else, and Uncle Bryn go down the uh, go down the mine shaft <laughs> to look for uh, look for Joe and Bert. Find Bert, who's pretty much dead by this point. I'd say past pretty much dead, towards definitely dead. So that leaves the doctor to go off and uh, find Joe. And then we get to the crux of the cliffhanger of the episode. This is where we find out what's really going down. Oh yeah, maggots. Lots Big, of, shiny, glow-in-the-dark maggots. Shiny, shiny, glow-in-the-dark maggots, yes. This is a relatable sort of evil presence for everyone, though, isn't it? If it was like some little googly alien, it would be like, oh, it's a googly alien down the mine. What's the googly alien doing down the mine? This is a maggot, and everyone knows what a maggot is, and everyone gets a bit there about maggots. So to have big maggots the size of a small dug is surely... <laughs> You know, that's a relatable sort of evil thing in Doctor Who, and it can be, you know, I quite like that. But maggots only eat dead flesh. They're really good for cleaning out wounds. They're actually a really useful, handy, almost healthy thing to have around maggots. I think you'll, I think you'll find, Dave, that nature is healing. We are the wound. Indeed. <laughs> Coronavirus is the maggots? Yep. So, you know, nature is healing. The raccoons have come back to the 7-Eleven. Yep. Mm. although one thing about this episode they realise there's maggots down there because Joe sees light and she goes how can I see you what's the glowing where was the light coming from the rest of the time they were in the fucking mine they've the been torches, down the mine for like, the torches aren't lit their headlamps aren't lit there's not that point the mine. yeah but they've been down the mine trapped for like 20 minutes with no light and then she realises there's light from the maggots but they've been moving so have they been walking through maggots? Have they been stepping on the crunchy happy maggots? It's a really strong light. <clears throat> Them maggots give off a hell of a light. I think if you had like a maggot in your house, you wouldn't be paying a power bill for six months. <laughs> Where can I buy one of these maggots? Have you seen stick, stick two maggots on the front of your car and you'll be fine. You'll have a little of them like, like massive sort of neon HD lights. They cost a lot of money, by the way, them headlights. It's a terrible thing. Yeah, they do. So yeah, I, I like the maggots. I think it's one of those sort of, even if you don't know Doctor Who that well, you still remember the episode with the maggots. I think we should have, we should have a moment to recognise the CSO at the end of the episode here. It's got more fringing going on in it than one of John Pertwee's cowboy jackets. Yeah, <laughs> it is quite shadowy. We can't have a pop at the technology of the time. <laughs> All right. 
this is this is my old big bugbear. You can't have to go back and say, oh, it looks terrible because it probably looked amazing at the time. Yeah, it's probably the worst example of it in the episode, and even then, it's not that bad. It's used to much better effect later on, really. So yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's unfair to draw attention to it. So it almost felt like Lee was on my side for a change there. <laughs> oh, here we are. Look at this complaining about the. Uh, but then he overturned his own about the referee here. He's just moaning about the referee. Like I say, I, I remain neutral. I'm just pointing out a few points that other people might have. Does it hurt sitting on the fence like that? It's a bit. It's a bit uncomfortable. I'm going to move around quite a lot here. Yeah, you say move around a lot. You seem to move to Cameron's side and then back to the middle. <laughs> then back to Cameron's side. That's all I'm saying. Hush now. All is well. So that's the end of episode two. Yep. Do we crack on to episode three then? Carry oh, on. Why not? Now let's just remind ourselves of what happens in episode three. Because nobody has any notes. Nope. <laughs> oh, I did. But I just completely nice. lost them. Corporal Jones has an argument with the Brigadier about how to deal with the situation because he's the new upcoming hippie and the Brigadier wants to just bomb the shit out of everything because he's the Brigadier. Uh, the Doctor is down the mine shaft with Joe and they decide to gondola their way out through the maggots. Like They can either go back to the mine shaft or through the maggots to the other way out, which might be there and which might not. So they yeah, can do their way through it. It doesn't really paint Joe's intelligence in a favourable light. I mean, they get into the minecart and you know decide which way to go, and she wants to go back towards the mine shaft that's collapsed in on itself, rather than to safety. Well, it's not collapsed in on itself; it's just a broken lift. Uh, if I was down a mine shaft and I could either go back to where the lifts were, even if they were broken, but somebody was working on fixing them, or deeper into the mine shaft, I think I'd probably head for the lifts. She doesn't get much chance to show her value in any of this episode, the last series. Well, maybe in a way that's kind of also foreshadowing her exit, that she's given more of a chance to prove herself with Professor Jones than she is with the Doctor. Because the Doctor's natural instinct would be to take over. I am the most intelligent person in the room. You're lesser than me. Whereas with Professor, it's a little bit more of an equal respect for each other. So maybe that's going to see them the idea that she's eventually going to leave at the end. Is it also not really through Joe that we actually get the um, discovery of the cure for the maggots? Eventually, mm. yes. A little bit later on. But they spend about an episode and a half saying it's a lucky accident, it's a lucky accident, it's a lucky accident. So it's nothing to do with her intelligence or her putting things together. I it's think you'll find, accident. Dave, it's serendipity. <laughs> and I think you'll find that's defined as a lucky accident. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't exactly. Kind of, he's not sitting there. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but he's, the, the professor's no sat there sweating bullets through the coronavirus, going on about um, you know, it's a lucky accident. Yes, but anyways, we'll get to that. It's sunshine on putty. Anyway, <clears throat> serendipity, an aptitude for making desirable discoveries by accident. Oh, he's got the internet open. So <laughs> even though Joe comes up with the links, they spend a good 45, 50 minutes saying it's luck. Uh, but if, she was, have... if she wasn't there, she wouldn't have been there to have the luck to find it. That That's a really logical and true statement, yes. If she hadn't been there, it would be a different episode. So I'm, glad, I'm glad we agree on that. <laughs> okay, so the Doctor and Joe eventually get out <laughs> the... Uh... <laughs> they find a ladder to climb up uh, and get back in the control room where they bump into uh, Tony Adams. Yep. It was just cleared an attack way into Rosette, doing his job perfectly. 
uh, at this point, we get back to the nut hutch again, don't we? Yes. There's a fair bit of flitting back and forth between locations in this story. Actually, before they reach the nut hutch, uh, we get no the little baldy fella. What's his name? That's Dave. You've known me for years, Lee. Come on now. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Fell, I think. The uh, the one that's working at Global Chemicals who gets his gets himself converted because he's showing signs of slight rebellion. Oh, the one yeah. that's kind of like going to go and, you know, I must do this job. <laughs> and it eventually breaks the programming. Uh, it's then reconditioned. too many questions. Yeah, there's lots of moustaches and suits talking into plastic phones in this episode. Yeah, you can see it was easy to get more confused. It was 1973, yeah. Jesus. But if it doesn't work out well for him, he gets himself reconditioned uh, to go and off himself. Yeah. Yeah, he ends up jumping off a, it's like a balcony or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a, he walks out the industrial railing door and just walks off the edge. Who is it? Is it Elgin, the fellow with the tash and the thick glasses? That's... Uh, Elgin, yeah, that's Tony Adams, yes. 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 Ah, yeah, that's the, that's the guy. He's, he seems to be like the only sensible, sane-thinking person in the entire chemical works who's not actually in league with maggots. Yeah. So the other fellow, the other fellow let's just, for argument's sake, call him Nigel Winterburn. Aye. He's... Uh, he's They've done a run for it. He's jumped over the edge of the barrier onto the car park below. He's completely dead. He's gone. Oh, it's a potential environmental disaster on the cards. So, dinner and a piss up, anybody? Yeah. Let's just head back to the hutch and have a nice slap up meal. <laughs> a nice slap up meal. Thus yeah. proving that, um, well, is this the, the the fantastic bit with the brig? And uh, what? It wasn't beef? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh no, you're eating fungus. I'm quite disappointed that the brig doesn't really fully sign up to the not hutch's way of thinking because he's shown little signs of coming round to what they're trying to do. I quite like the idea from Professor Jones just like lacing daisies for each other's hair and I'm getting really into this sort of happy vibe that's going on. I think that's a spin-off of Doctor Who that's only going to work in your head, Lee. Yeah. One thing at a time, Doctor, it's my turn on the bong. <laughs> Good work. Good, yeah, it Good. could. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get that one. If only BBC Three was still on telly, yeah. <laughs> Two Forget. organs in your chest, Doctor. How many other organs do you have? That kind of thing. <laughs> oh, Christ. I can see the end credits. Produced by John Barrowman. There's many things produced by John Barrowman. And, uh, yeah. Where are we in this story yeah so it's at this point they get a little bit of downtime and they start uh re-evaluating what's going on uh joe calls bear a perky little welshman and a funny little welshman because he's oh, not a person on. is he he's, no, he's just welsh yeah he's just welsh yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's not an individual he's not special he's just welsh so this is where we start to build the uh sort of romantic tensions that is between uh joe and uh professor jones they're we alone do. together and uh that's a very 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 fruity scene where they almost kiss each other but they are somewhat disturbed are they not they are yeah and perry's face when he walks in on them that's angry da <laughs> that is a bit angry da yeah that's angry da's gonna kick your teeth in because you're going to be a bit too personal with my daughter but are we Take not your... like uh, yeah i mean is it's we're so used now to having like companions that are like besotted with the doctor or, you know, like you see, Rose was besotted with the Doctor and Martha was besotted with him and 
Oh, that's kind of jazz. Is it no like this is bizarrely refreshing, even though it's like you know forty odd years ago, to have a companion who's sort of losing slight interest in the whole relationship with the doctor and just wants like it's from someone else who's almost like the same figure but more on her kind of like level of existence kind of idea in that he's not alien and he's not he's an actual proper human you know is it not interesting do we find you know to, to have this is it not quite unique this companion exit that's been set up here um no i thought <laughs> i thought dave was gonna say that um the reason why dave well in a canonical way if you consider that the doctor's first companion was his granddaughter then mm-hmm. no it's not that unusual it's a lot of time being an older man and a younger companion. It's it's always been that kind of thing. And yes, from your heteronormative viewpoint, Cameron. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you've got the traditional modern Rose and the Doctor, somebody and the Doctor, where it's almost the love interest because that's what we've conditioned to drop by, by the soap operas they're on telly. It used to be the doctor was a doctor. He was the figure of influence and intelligence. And the companion was a companion who was learning from him and needed him. Much like to an extent you could say Clara and Peter Capaldi's doctor were. Because he was the older, almost father figure who was protecting her, looking after her, and teaching her the way that everything worked. So I don't know if it is that different. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that she's she's almost found a replacement for the doctor. Another slightly older man who's far more intelligent than she is and talks down to her. But they'll be going up the Amazon later on. He can talk <laughs> into her while they're on a boat. But I like I like you to describe this coming like it's an episode of Blind Date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They might not be entirely suited to each other, but they're going on a nice holiday in a little while. Uh, it's either an episode of Blind Date or an episode of Dexter, and I don't know which it is. <laughs> Joe, will you come back next week and tell us all about it? No. No. The contract is said in a barrel. <laughs> I can't. I've been locked in the back of a transit van for the next 40 years. You'll have made me into corn by then. <laughs> Oh, anyway. let's, get, let's get to the wrap-up of cl- the episode 3 and the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger to end all cliffhangers. A long, wrinkly object attempts to harass Katie Manning from behind in a dimly lit television studio, only this time it's not attached to John Pertwee. Oh, dear. Dear, 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 dear. That, that was just too easy. I wouldn't have even made that joke. <laughs> Shocking. I'm quite pleased with that myself. Yeah. Tough crowd. Yeah. Katie right. Manning and the Maggot. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon from Big French Productions. Produced by John Byron. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then in episode four, uh, we've got a giant maggot crawling up at the back of Katie Manning, and all of a sudden, the heavy breaks in and saves the day. Yeah, he doesn't so much save the day as be the idiot standing in the way of a maggot attack, which can as we now establish, leap through the air. Yeah, and the thing is, he actually pushes his nose right up against the glass. Like, w- when the bad guy's coming to have a look at what she's up, when he's coming up to watch Katie Manning in her bedroom in her Victorian nightgown, you can actually see his nose change shape as he pushes it against the glass. He actually goes up to a window and squashes their face against the glass to have a look. 
Well, I think you're uh, grossly underestimating the uh, powers of Katie Manning there, to be honest with you. With uh, fellas with fellas from all around. Katie Manning with fellas from all around. Can I quote you on that? <laughs> all around with a top hit combo in the 1970s. <laughs> I remember them. They, 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 were they not the spin-off group from Cherry Pickers from Gallifrey? They were, aye. They were. There was two members of that and then another two members of uh, yeah, some other band whose oh. witty name I can't even think of now. They supported Creme Brulee at Wales Fest. Yeah. They did, yeah. <laughs> They did. It was great. The, so, que- the question is here, Dave, that you're, you're criticising the guy's technique. How would you go about pressing your face up the window of an unsuspecting young moon in the middle of the night? You don't press your face against the glass. That leaves evidence. What you're trying to do is put a small webcam there or an old Android phone that you can use to stream to. Everyone knows this. And this is the reason why the next podcast will be just me and Cameron. Yeah. Dave will be otherwise obtained. Coming to yep. you live from Sockton. <laughs> <laughs> or a phone he stored inside his anus there's actually a shop near me that sells those what phones that have been stored up people's anuses yes <laughs> well you do live, live in Mayfield there's a shop in Dalkeith that sells phones that are really small in their cross section so they're like a one centimetre by one and a half centimetres by five centimetres and they're not smartphones, you're not going to look up Facebook on them, but you can make phone calls on them. And they've got really small cross-sections, so they fit in small places. And basically, you look in them in the shop window, you go, yeah, that's a prison bum phone. <laughs> I, don't think they're, the box. <laughs> I don't think they're branded that way, but that's what they're for. Is this I another think... thing that's been produced by John Barman? I'm just remembering the little weapon that was stored up there in, uh, what was that, Bad Wolf? Yeah. yeah. The little He's got his own range. Right. I don't think John Barman stores a little weapon up there. <laughs> if you're not oh careful, dear. it might go off in your hand, but I don't think it's a little weapon. Shall we get back to the actual episode? Yes, let's. Yeah, so we've got a giant. That's good. So we've got a giant maggot thrusting itself towards another man, but that's just going back to John Barman. Bloody How hell! Dare you? He's a ma- happily married man. But yes, we're ba- we're back to the doctor investigating the maggot with its green blood. See, I've got this on on my spare monitor. At the moment, I've got episode four on. And I've realised that the Doctor actually gets changed for the party at the hut. Like, he's wearing a nice ruffled shirt and a velvet jacket and everything. As you do. They've only witnessed a man kill themselves. It's no big thing. You just go back and get changed in your formal clothes, don't you? But but that's it. Tell you what, let's all go back to mine and we can talk about things. Maybe have a bite to eat and a couple of drinks. Reminisce about the guy that's dead. No problem. I'll put on my frilliest shirt. <laughs> Which I happen to bring with me. Because it's not like the modern who, where they use the TARDIS to get out of everything. You never see the TARDIS in this. No, it kind of like, the TARDIS is part of the Unit Headquarters and he takes the car down to South Wales, isn't he? Yeah, it's a road trip. It's just yeah. a bit weird how that happens. It's like, you know, when you've got an absolute a time machine that travels in space and time. But no, we'll just, we'll take a ride. Do you know that you actually asked for Bessie to be souped up in real life? Yeah. But the car was so insufferably slow in the first two series they had it that he actually convinced the production team to get modifications made to it. So it would be a bit nippier. Oh, can you imagine that with we cheeky Capri 2.8 litre engine in it? That would be nice. Well, that's kind of more or less what he's done because he used to drive home from rehearsals. I'm assuming he took this thing home with him every night. And he would be going in an off circular road and driving up behind the type Jags and pulling along really, really slowly and then zooming off and overtaking him at the last minute. And brum. <laughs> 
<laughs> Did he not actually keep the car when they finished with it? I think so, yeah. It's I like remember there's this urban vehicle. legend that John Pertwee got the car. I can see why you would. Yeah. Anyway, episode four then. Yes, episode four. Moving this on. Is, this is the episode with the costume changes. The brigadier decides to grow up, blow up the maggots with explosives, because that's how you kill maggots. Yeah, they're going to detonate the mines. Is this the part? Yeah. They try they try shooting at them, but they try shooting at them with a handgun, which has no effect because none of the shots hit anyway. Then armor-piercing bullets. Yeah. Ten rounds armor-piercing. Yeah, ten rounds rapid. <laughs> like it's, I, I don't know why it didn't kill it. It must have armor. No, you missed with every fucking shot. <laughs> we saw them puffing up dirt all around it. You didn't actually hit it. <laughs> It's like Stormtrooper saying, these Jedi must have force shields. No, you just missed. Cream of the British fucking army. Just because it's not an Irish civilian running away doesn't mean you can't shoot it. <laughs> Oof. That's another head in hands. Oh, Jesus. Moment. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so anyway, Unit have turned up at this point. Unit have yeah. turned up at this point. Yeah. The Briggs turned up. Benton's turned up. Benton? Uh, Benton. Um, every all that them boys have turned up, and um, they're trying. The maggots have now reached the surface. They're out, and they're gonna. They're out for blood. And um, have we at this point had the computer reveal, or is this the end of this one? Uh, it's the end of this one. Yeah. Is it the end of this one with uh, I'm the boss? All right. Okay. Um, yeah, the doctor's got to do his cross dressing disguised as a milk. Oh, is this this sick. one when he goes? You know. Yeah. You know Oh, he's very sick, you see. That one, yeah. Yeah. I was only saying to Rosie up at the Red Dragon. I was only saying to Rosie after I come back from the rugby. <laughs> yeah, th- this highly secured chemical weapons type factory just opens up when the milkman arrives, <laughs> and he's yeah, you know, fan. it's a bit like you know, it's it's a bit like Metal Gear Solid. You can get into bases just by shuffling underneath a cardboard box. Yeah, but you can't. You can wait till the guard passes by in your cardboard box, and then you can shuffle. You can't shuffle while the guards are there, because they go, why the fuck is that box moving? Once again, I feel that if it was high-grade security, and they were just, like, you know, going to the doors, and they're just like, can we come in? No. Then you wouldn't really get very far in the script, would you? <laughs> it's like, they do not get into the factory at all. Mm. Unless you're dressed um, as a milkman. Unless you're dressed as a milkman, yeah. When you're playing the rugby, and... Uh, I was just saying to Bryn that the milk was quiet. Uh, that, you know, I was delivering the milk and he was very sick. He was sick with the corona. There's more costume changes in this episode than your average Beyonce concert, let's be honest. Well, pretty much, yeah. I think um, I think this is where Lady Gaga got the inspiration from. I, I remember that when she done the Super Bowl dressed as a Welsh cleaning woman. Yes! <laughs> so, aye. It would have been better. We we see we see a fair wee bit of uh, John Pertwee's sort of comic acting side during this. Yeah, now he re- realises he can sneak in dressed as a milkman. Why didn't he try and sneak in like that earlier? Because he had his Venusian Jaikudo to show off. Okay. I think you'll I think you'll find Dave, and you you must know from personal experience, it's very difficult to do Venusian Jaikudo when you're dressed as a, a, a as a cleaning lady. But if he was dressed as the cleaning lady, he wouldn't have had to. But yes, that's fine. He's, he's, he's got another way to get in. So he goes yeah. for the cross-testing and the many, many changes of costume. 
Exactly, as you would, as you would. We're leading up to the discovery of the overall I'm the boss, aren't we? Mm-hmm. This one. Yes. He manages to convince what this, what, six foot two man? Manages to convince the security guard that he is a five foot eight Welsh woman by Don't. putting on a shitty, shitty accent. <laughs> Don't tell me, Dave, that you've never tried to convince everyone that you're a Welsh woman. I'm Kenneth Matthews. <laughs> Yes, some African um, nose fruit for your Sunday morning. I was in a band, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of folk music? Of what music? Oh, folk. Folk. Oh, folk. Right, okay. Ah, folk music. Away and folk yourself. Here's a nice little ditty called Centre Baggers Back. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Now, I'd like to point out, this do you remember? About an hour and a half ago, when I said that I didn't like Lee doing accents, we're starting to see why now. Yeah. It's um, all making sense. Unlike the Nigerian oh, Welsh. <laughs> so this is the episode we finally meet the boss. Yes. yes. Who I think we can all agree that he's quite uh, cool as a bad guy, yeah? It's an artificial intelligence computer program. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Taking over people, left, right, and centre. Has a nice little lining going, Stevens. I can, I can just see him more as a malevolent version of Chock-A-Block, though. Well, yeah, but at least he's not provided a small car that's too small for John Pertwee, and he ends up having to ride it round with his knees up by his heels. <laughs> can you imagine how it'd be raging if you got that instead of Bessie? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. We need to soup up this small plastic car. <laughs> currently having to pedal around this studio floor. Can we have an engine in it, please, of some variety? Yeah, you can get one up the lawnmower. Now, you see, you said chock-a-block, and I got distracted. Why was that? Was that the machine that made things in a children's TV show? It was a machine that told stories as far as... It told told stories. If it was with a human presenter, like it was in a live studio, it was chock-a-block. But if you're thinking of an animation where a machine makes things, that was Bertha. Thank you, it was Bertha. <laughs> yeah. But, thanks, Cameron. Bertha, Bertha, lovely Bertha, everything you make is just a dream. That's how the song went. Another one for the teenage listeners there? <laughs> yeah, another one for the teenage. Hey, we're done with it. Yeah, it was, it was Bertha, thank you. It was, it was Bertha, yeah. I had that image in my head, and I was like, what was that? I could, yeah. Starring Roy Kinnear. But the chock-a-block um, machine never bloody worked. They were always banging on the side of it just to like, get it to actually do something. It was like, you know, now we're going to go to chock-a-block. And it always used to have the voice, didn't it? It was like, just going, chock-a-block. Uh, and then it never did anything. And it was just like, yeah. chock-a-block. And it just, you could see presenters slowly dying, just like, you know, banging <laughs> against buttons just to make it play a tune or do something. Was that uh, part we used to say about Katie Manning? You had to bang it till it worked. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Banging against buttons. Yeah, is it like not um, Is it like not uh, the Doctor Who? Um, is it no Ark in Space that they ended up lo- the studio loaned them parts of uh, Chocoblock for the background in Ark of Space? It's not a pre-date Chocoblock by quite some distance. It probably does. Obviously, this yeah. is what people are listening to a, po- a, a Doctor Who podcast for. It's uh, the minutiae and technical details of Chock-A-Block. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what we're doing. I'm, I'm, pretty convinced, I'm pretty convinced <laughs> that the, the, the machine from Chock-A-Block turns up in a Doctor Who at some stage. Let's have a look. Because that's they needed that's... to get some 
they needed some sort of background machinery, and it ends up being it's a slightly different. They've kind of resprayed it a different colour, but it's the machine for Chocoblock. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, no, Wikipedia's not given us much information here. Outside of the Chocoblock established universe. Yeah, outside yeah. of the of the, I think you'll find the fans call it the blockosphere. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> the and Chocobloc- we're all Hervian crossover. All the fans are called Chockers. That's what we call ourselves. Blockheads. Aye. Hit me with ah. your rhythm stick, said John Barman. Anyway. Hi, boss. Um, no, I think the thing what John Barman asked for was if you could bang him like a drum. There's a difference. Beating me. Uh, I like the boss as a bad guy. I think I've said that. Yeah, you did, but then we got sidetracked. It's an all right, but very difficult to grasp bad guy because there is no thing to point out that says that is the bad guy there's a big screen that shakes about when he talks yeah but the thing i'm thinking of is there's no that's the bad guy that's what we kill you unplug the screen he's everywhere it's a very expanded esoteric almost high level intelligence bad guy but he's trying to take over all the computers in the world once again this is kind of like you know it plays on people's distrust of technology. Yes, and I completely get that, much like the satellite, whatever it was in space, the Simon Pegg episode, and New Who, where the news was controlled by the super intelligent news media, which turned out was just a giant maggot, apparently. So, uh, yeah, I like the intelligent supercomputer as a bad guy, but it's very hard to almost aim at that as a baddie. Because he can't point to anything and say, that's how we kill it. Which is why he's been given the sort of humans that work around him. Yes. As a sort of physical presence. Who were just following orders, yeah. I get that. But it's hard to point out how you would stop something that evil and intelligent and almost spread out. Do we ever actually find out what the ultimate aim of boss is? Um, he's trying to take over all the computers in the world, isn't he? He is a very logical, intelligent computer. But he gets infected by the human illogical logic that works out more logical than logic does, which is just a fucking stupid thing to say. And it really annoyed me when it came up. I was like, ah, yes, their logic is sometimes more logical than logic. No, because that's not how it works. But yeah, he 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 gets Stevens to program him as illogical like a human. So it's self-aware and illogical, deliberately, rather than a machine, which gives it a personality. And I think his ultimate plan is to control everything and everyone, because he's ultra-really intelligent, so that's his plan. But there's no take over the world, destroy the Dutch, there's no (laughs) overarching plan. Why the Dutch in particular? (laughs) They know what they did. <laughs> yeah, there's no thing that the boss is aiming for that's an end game, an end plan, nothing that must be stopped as much as there is just the expansion of his plan. And there's a, <clears throat> I think more they're dealing with a byproduct of his aims rather than the actual aim. So the byproduct would be the maggots and the pollution. Yeah, but so they're, then, they're fighting that front. We, we get to the slaves. And the people who've had their minds almost wiped by corporate culture. Mm-hmm. 
which is kind of his end game is to have all of humanity as corporate drones. So that's kind of his end game, but not to do anything with them. He just but it's still wants... not really a great. Th- it's still not really a thing that you can really want to desire, is it? Oh yeah, it's all, it's all right. The whole planet gets taken over by corporate drones. It's fine. That's okay. It's not something to look, really look forward to. You'd want to stop that. Yeah, you'd want to stop that, and from a dis- like an extracted viewpoint, go yeah, I'd, I'd want to stop that. But we all order from Amazon. We're all becoming corporate drones. But not like wandering around with like headphones and things like that, and just kind of like <laughs> and jump uh, jumping off balconies because Amazon told us to. No, but if I get you free Prime for a year, and it's only a thirty foot balcony, <laughs> you might consider it. You break both legs just to do that. She probably about saying this is free men sitting wearing headphones right now. Yeah. And using a, a Microsoft program <laughs> to record this podcast. Wow, is it? We're all anyway, part of the machine, man. Um, have we got to the bit yet where they're doing the bombing raid on the actual field where the maggots are? I was just oh. about to bring that up because that's going on while the sort of face off between the doctor and bosses happening. Yes. So while all his mates are being bombed, he's indulging in logic puzzles of a supercomputer. When um, the uh, Corporal Jones and uh, Joe end up stuck in a in a in a mine opening somewhere, ah, that's right. The bombs rain down around them, and I... this is the bit where Corporal Jones ends up getting bitten and uh, contracts the Green Death. And the problem I have here, and I, I can already hear Cameron's defence of this, it was the seventies. It, it was a lower budget, but really the Brigadier calls on the RAF for support to destroy this possibly alien incursion into Britain. And they send over a crop-dusting helicopter <laughs> with some hand grenades. What would you have wanted? He asked the RAF for bomber support, and they send a helicopter and hand grenades. They might as well have sent my rubber band and filled the power tailor. Is this not the same story, though, where we've already established that the, the Briggs may be not as high up the totem pole as he thinks he is. He's a brigadier. He, but he's already been slapped down by the Prime Minister, hasn't he? Yeah, there's been a bit of top, sort of uh, cabinet minister top trumps going on between him and Stevens, isn't there, earlier on? Yeah, yeah. I know one up my friends are better than your friends. Yeah, yeah. My minister can batter your minister, yeah. So but maybe still... when the brig does phone for the sort of, you know, aerial backup and wanting, you know, 10,000 bombing planes to come over... That's all he's going to get, because he's not quite as high up as he thinks he is. Even if you phone up the RAF and ask for bomber support, they're not going to send a helicopter and hand grenades. They just tell you to fuck off. No, the no, army no has helicopters and hand grenades. What would the fuck would the RAF be doing with hand grenades? It's maybe what they all. It's maybe what they had at the time. Handy, at a moment's notice. As we already said, there's no cutting equipment in South Wales. I'm surprised there's a helicopter then. They should just had a trebuchet or a catapult. Fire grenades in that way. Mm. You can just driven in a cherry picker. You can get a lot of height on that. You can just drop the bombs from above. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but they could have done the War of the Worlds special, where they have like stock footage of a bomber flying over, followed by stock footage of bombs going off, followed by the brigadier looking through binoculars. I sort of believe that was part of the plan when they were making the episode that they were going to go to stock, stock footage of RAF planes flying over and big explosions. But, you know, Barry Letts likes a helicopter. So what are you going to do? If he's got the budget for a helicopter, he's going to damn well use that budget for a helicopter. He's having a helicopter. Yeah. But they could have saved that helicopter budget 
spent it on a turbo for the car. <laughs> it just had stock footage of the RAF bombing brown people, which is what they were doing at the time. Do you think it would have added that much to that scene, having the stock footage? I mean, the helicopter's fairly exciting. It's part of the action. But it's not, because they cut to the helicopter and you get static shots of the helicopter, and then they cut back to the ground troops. It, it doesn't feel involved. And if you're going to have something that doesn't feel involved, you should have something that's impressive but not involved. Like, they might as well have had footage of a nuclear bomb going off. And then the burger going, well, that didn't work. Let's go in with shovels and a hammer. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. I've already established at this point that the Brigadier would be too stoned out his mind back in the nut hutch to be any use whatsoever. Oh, He's back I, there with the caftan on and the Grateful Dead albums out. I think the last half of this, like the last three episodes, it's all in the Doctor's imagination. Because <laughs> they've all been like just up on LSD. <laughs> that would be a fair assessment of the entire part we hear though. Yeah. <laughs> the whole five years was just a massive, massive trip. Katie Manning just woke up in a jungle and this is how she explains it all. <laughs> the third doctor never existed. Yeah, get on that, Twitter moaners. Where's your numbering system now? Don't start one of your Twitter fights on here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, are we moving on? Yes, no. shall we? Uh, no. So the RAF at this time <laughs> is equipped with... No, yes, let's move on. <laughs> That's pretty much the extent of episode five, really, is it? What does the episode five cliffhanger come in? What happens? You're the one with Wikipedia open. That's why I'm just looking right now to tell you. It's... Ah, yeah, episode, end of episode five. Yates is sent in undercover to investigate what's oh, going yes, on in the oh, inside. Oh, yes, 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 yes. A man who's an expert in industrial espionage and lift shenanigans, as we'll learn over the course of this story. He does, yeah. I've left oh. my, I've left my case. Oh, yeah. Although actually, episode five, I, the first time I rewatched this recently, I kind of hoped that Corporal Jones was dead when the bomb, like the the army are dropping grenades, and there's an explosion, and he lies down. I kind of hoped he was dead. Like I thought, oh, that's a bit harsh killing him, but I like it. But then they brought you... him back sick fiend you it would have made him a martyr dying for his cause which i quite like the idea of instead of getting a headache for his cause but then banging the companion do you don't think that may have been slightly too full on for a saturday tea time show in 1973 though yes but you go with it anyway you're going with it anyway (laughs) as cameron likes to say it was the 70s but yes it would have been quite harsh then but it would work now. He would have been the Danny Pink of his era, almost. At what point, though, do we get the fly that attacks the That's doctor in, in the, uh, the next episode. That in the next one. Yeah. That's episode six. Have they discovered that the fungus kills off the maggots yet? That's next episode as well. Is that it? Oh, there's yeah. a lot happening in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to wrap up in 25 minutes, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah episode five is the doctor fixing people with his magical blue crystal that's kind yes, of what half the episode what breaks, is that's what breaks the concentration and the the control isn't it yeah, yeah. the pencil for words and pictures yeah. yeah yeah so towards the end of episode five we've got yates on the inside doing his industrial espionage job uh he tries to break the programming of zippy roy skelton who comes in as a yeah it's like one episode's occurrence uh, so at that point he's uh cornered by stevens and that's Stevens. end of episode. <laughs> and then we move on to episode six where nothing really happens, does it? It's not even worth no, talking no, about. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no. Uh, it's just the Nothing. You know, 
So should we get into the really uninteresting episode six? There's a lot of running around in it. Like a lot of people just run and see things and then run somewhere else. There's the guy escaping. Yeah, there's a lot of running. Sorry, I've I've got on my other screen. I'm just skipping through. <laughs> well, there'll be a lot. Of, it must look a bit episode of Benny Hill if you're watching at the same time. It does a little, yeah. Well, let's look at what happens in this episode. We've got Jones infected. Yep. Yes. And on Death's Door. Uh, we've got the maggots still at large. Uh, no yep. way of actually stopping them yet. In the meantime, the egg that they took back to the nut hutch, the suspiciously squeaky egg, I might add. Almost like it's a balloon that's been spray-painted silver. That's gone back to the nut hutch. That's now hatched yep. and escaped into the building. And it's at this point that they find out that the maggots have a weak spot. They do. Yeah. They like a little bit of um, fakey beef. So the moral so, of this story is vegetarianism is bad for your kids. Vegetarianism is bad for you, and I think they probably would have been better off having the maggots advertise corn than Ryan Giggs. There's one for the teenagers. Or Ryan Giggs. How dare you? That's just when I was at least in our 20s. It could have been Andy Johnson, or whatever his name was. That uh, no, was Adam Johnson. Adam Johnson. Yeah. I used to know a really good joke about him, and I can't remember now. Good. Uh, what's, <laughs> but, what's the best thing about 21-year-olds? There's 20 of them. <laughs> it's adaptable. You can apply it to him, can't you? <laughs> but here's the Andy, thing. Andy Johnson, I've, lost profits. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Dave, carry on. H from Steps is only the second best Ian Watkins. Um, no, I was just thinking, Goldie Luke and Chain. Goldie Luke and Chain, the Welsh supergroup of rap. Uh-huh. One of their members is called The Maggot. I wonder if he is named after this episode of Doctor Who. And I'm going to go with There's a member no. called The Maggot, isn't there? Yes. Is he, is he a vegetarian? Do you think that maybe it survived? What's it? <laughs> what, an integrated into the local population? And yeah. Learn to rap. Uh, I've listened to a lot of Goldie Luca Chain. They never learned to rap. Dave, are you no, trying no, to no. argue that one of the main protagonists in this episode of Doctor Who then went on to form a hip hop scene in Lar Fairfax? Yes. Is that what you're trying to say, Dave? Yes. There's maggot and there's eggsy. We're on to something here. No, we're really not. I'm looking at Wikipedia. There's one called Graham Taylor as well. And Dick Turpin. Do you are not like that? <laughs> it's not quite good as the, not quite as good as the fake uh, so solid crew lineup that's on Wikipedia, where it's got DJ Wogan and Yorkshire T and the notorious BLT. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there is a past member called Maggot and Goldie Looking Chain. Yes, yeah. there is. Wow. I, I was not lying about that. I know the Goldie Looking Chain. Just looking up his entry in Wikipedia, he's been a Celebrity Big Brother. Uh, he appeared in the fourth series of Celebrity Big Brother in 2006, finishing third, trailing behind eventual winner, sorry, eventual second place, Michael Barrymore. Just think no they spent problem. a lot of time in the swimming pool in that series. Hey, he's not the first man to finish behind Michael Barrymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Ah, we've become oh. sidetracked again, haven't we? We have, yeah, massively <laughs> we're, 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 so. <clears throat> maggots. Something to do with maggots, yeah. And corn. Um, yeah, the maggots die because they can be fed the fungus, the the food, which once again, as we sort of alluded to before, is only because Joe knocked one of the samples into the fungus and it's killed off the cells. So yeah. Serendipity. Uh, serendipity. So they end up having to have this um, fantastically 
scene of the them driving through this field of maggots, feeding them the bits of fungus. Um, with I think it was Benton that says, "Come and get your dindins." Yeah, here, kitty, kitty, yeah. come and get your dindins. Yeah, yeah. Much to the doctor's consternation. <laughs> yes, I think it's the brig that kind of does this. <laughs> Benton. <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, yeah I, I, it's good. I like it. It's it's kind of an unusual little thing that's uh, you know in the usual Doctor Who kind of style. You know, out and out violence doesn't solve anything. Vegetarianism all, is what kills you. Yeah, they've also discovered at this point that the maggots turn into giant flies. So there's fields of giant flies flying around, which all the maggots will turn into if they eat enough magic mushrooms. <laughs> Well, I think if they eat enough magic mushrooms, then they'll be able to see the flies. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the giant fly, then? Because it's not as bad as people make out, I think. I it's... like it. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I'm I'm more the, I mean, more the sort of, uh, you know, the instances where it's in flight and it's got that sort of, you know, Ray Harryhausen, sort of Jason of the Argonauts effect going on. You know, it's, yeah. It it's looks the... quite good there. I wanted to slag it off, but then you compare it to... Jason and the Argonauts, and I don't want to now because uh-huh. I can see what you're going for, and I love that film. Uh-huh. It's not stop motion like Jason and the Argonauts was. It has that effect, though. It's, it's not on something too long similar to it. It's, yeah, I think if it was on for any longer than yeah, it would be. But it, its dodginess would be quite obvious. Yeah, but I think because it's only literally on the screen for like what all of a minute and a half or something like that. So it's not even that long. It's two, three seconds at a time. Yeah, maybe ten seconds at the most. But I'm talking like in total. Yeah, it's not on for long at all, so therefore it's 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 all right. You can get away with that. It's fine. Yeah, glad we agree. Yeah, we we agree. It's acceptable. It's not great though. We both agree. On I would that. no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's fantastic. You know, you don't look at it and kind of go, oh yeah, it looks an amazing representation of a house fly. But no, it's 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 fine for what it is. I think the main question we have to ask at this point is what is the Doctor's cape made of that it can kill a mutant fly on contact? I think we can see from the footage that's made of tartan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, renowned. Yeah. So it burns its retinas on contact. Yeah. <laughs> it, exactly. its mind. it sees that tartan about 20 odd times in the hexagonal sort of eyeline <laughs> it's got. Yeah. And all I can hear it. is accordions and all it can smell is shortbread and it just dives through yep, the floor. Yep, it just dives through it. And that's it. And that's it. The, 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 the common housefly will have nothing against the midgey in this situation. If this was a field full of midgies, then he would be more of a problem. Yeah, a good old in- Inverness cape? Nah, not a problem. It'll be fine. He throws his cape suspiciously high in the air. It lands <laughs> on top of the fly and then it, it's dead. Yeah, maybe it's just the smell of alcohol from John Pertwee. <laughs> They just not manage to knock the fly out completely. I think it's more likely to be the smell of his brute aftershave. Probably than yeah. anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just think, okay. just think of okay. cheap cologne and medallions. I think you'll find that he is high karate all the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you'll find he uses high karate. Exactly. High kujitsu. So we're there again. Uh, we get the explosion at the chemical works now, don't we? Once again, it seems to be that Stevens dies in this as well, doesn't he? He goes down with the ship. Yes. So that's pretty neat. I like that. Yeah, because Stevens knows how the plant works. So he yes. can blow up the plant. So he sacrifices himself to save the rest of humanity from the corporate culture that he's become part of. Yeah. So, you know, you've got that, that sort of last twist 
of the main one of the main evil characters does this kind of like Darth Vader esque kind of like oh no I love humans really, and then um it's, he was the one that you know helps blow up the and sacrifices himself for the the common good, and then gets brought back as Hayden Christensen. Yeah, in a later uh, prequel. Yeah, and then they just go whitewashing it backwards so that everyone looks like him all of the time. Nobody else did this role. What are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> You've got a problem there, haven't you? Um, a little bit. But don't get me into the Star Wars fandom. That's a whole different fandom. <laughs> That's a totally different podcast. Yeah, it's a totally different podcast. There's um, also a less sort of dramatic twist earlier on when the boss keeps tuning himself into classic FM. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I keep expecting his voice to sort of morph into Simon Bates at some point. Oh, hello, loves. <laughs> Time to blow whatever the accent thing. that was. Class if it was. It certainly wasn't Simon Bates. No, no, it wasn't. If you if you shut your eyes, he's almost in the room. We're back to John Barman again. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to <laughs> shut your eyes and imagine that a Radio One DJ from the nineteen eighties is in the room with you. No, not really, not really. You don't. Yeah. So the um, factory explodes. The computer's taken out. The boss is taken out. Stevens um, goes down with the ship, and uh, everyone else scarpers. So that's it. We've wrapped it up. Um, well, not quite. I mean, but so we're back at the not hutch at this point, and then. Uh, I say we've wrapped up the main story, but the main story. We're, we're getting yeah. to the finale of, of the you know Joe's leaving is basically the final ten minutes or so. Well, where her fiance tells her she's getting married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Joan says you're getting married, you're damn well getting married. Yay, the seventies. Good news, <laughs> yeah. Joe. I've bought you from the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> the contract's been signed now. Um, yeah, you can't get out of it. No, it's it's it's. Is it the most poignant departure for an assistant in Doctor Who? No. Whose is then? Several of the modern ones might be more poignant. Right. I kind of think we have to separate it here, though. We have to separate it into classic and new series. If we take it in the context of the old series. Right. Would you still say okay. it's that's not was poignant departure for a companion? It's the first one that the doctor really seems to care about. He seems a bit genuinely cut up that you know this young girl who he took under his wing is sort of leaving and going off with someone else. It does seem to genuinely bother him, and that's why instead of actually dealing like it, like a four hundred year old person, highly intelligent individual, he just throws a hissy fit and walks out of the room. <laughs> He has what I believe is termed the French exit. <laughs> In that oh. you leave without saying bye bye. Hmm? Yeah, you, you say the French exit. Is that just like good for you? Like it storms off in a huff, gets into Bessie, and takes a sheep with him for company. Yes. <laughs> no, that he, he goes away and protests somewhere. <laughs> Who is that man with the blonde hair that turns grey when he gets into a fight? <laughs> If he, wee wee. Get, if he just gets upset and leaves till he's somewhere better and just enjoys himself, shall we call that the Barman exit? <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, I say uh, Jones and uh, the, and Joe are off getting married. Um, they're going to be gone up the Amazon, and uh, either Doctor drives Bessie off down the road while everyone else sings congratulations in the um, in the background. Wikipedia actually says, as Joe and Jones dance, the Doctor drives Bessie off into the sunset. That's it. 
Do you think it's a suitable exit for a companion that's been there for three years? I think so. It's good. That's it. I think it's because, you know, there's no sort of, like, she doesn't die. There's a future for her somewhere else, so she goes there. It's not, like, involved in some kind of, like, alien race. She's not got to stay on an alien planet. It's not an alternate reality. No, she's not being locked in some kind of, like, parallel dimension or anything like that. She's just having a normal life, settling down with a fella who seems to have just bought her for marriage. And then, (laughs) you know, what's wrong with that? It it feels very hissy fit to me. Yeah? Rather than dealing with his emotions, he just goes, meh, fuck it then, I'm leaving. But when has the Doctor ever done that? When has the Doctor ever settled with his emotions and not responded in that way like a petulant child and stormed off and picked up some other young woman and gone off in the time and space with her yeah but it still feels petulant I'm, I'm not saying the doctor isn't always doing that kind of shit I'm saying the doctor can do better and we know the doctor can do better it's too calm to be petulant though he's not like thumping on his way out and clattering up the steps and like that like a teenager he's just like getting in the car and just going ah well things will be will be and then off he goes you see there's a difference between the stoic she'll be happy without me there's no point stretching this out and the petulant child of well if she's got something better I'll just leave and that's what it feels like to me as the petulant I'll just leave he wants her to have her moment he can't add anything more to it she's happy she's done anything he says is going to be inconsequential now but we see that she's not happy because she knows that he left without saying goodbye. So it's like, that means the that either the, the doctor's I, wrong or we are. It's probably going to be us. But at the start of the episode, he said, you know, he, he offered Joe all the time and space. Where does she want to go? And she just wants to have a normal life. And she's getting that. All the yes. things the doctor has had that she he could have showed her kind of is in irrelevance now because she's found love. She's married a 27-year-old, long-haired mushroom professor from Wales going to the Amazon. <laughs> it's a normal life. It is a normal life for everyone. Have you never been taken up the Amazon, Dave? <laughs> no, Doctor. No. He has by a long-haired Welshman, I know. <laughs> Just getting back from the rugby in the male boy choir. And the good news is we know that Lee can't have been pretending to be a Welshman because we've heard his accents. <laughs> yeah, they would they would so know. I promise you accents. I never said it'd be a good one. Well, that's OK then, because it was me. <laughs> right then, uh, shall we begin summing up then? Yes, let's begin summing up. Dave, do you want to sum up for the prosecution? Uh, let's see, where will I start? There's not a lot to this story. As much as there is, there's not. It is... The Doctor against the world, as always. It is the rights of the individual versus the corporate overlords, as many, many Doctor Who stories are. Because all they want to say is, think for yourself. It is the goodbye to a beloved companion. But at no point in any of this story is she actually treated as a beloved companion. She is an add-on, an exposition piece, the whole way through. And then at the end... She's basically told that she's getting married. And that's Joe leaving. The Doctor does what he always does, which is wander around pretending to hit people. The bad guy in this is not even that bad. Doesn't want to kill people. Doesn't want to ruin anything. Wants to make everything more efficient. 
So by the end of this thing, we think that efficiency is bad, drugs are good, and women should be treated as property. That ends the prosecution for this episode. <laughs> and now Cameron will say, but it's the 70s. It was a different time. The special effects no, were never that no, good. No, 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 no. Women were never valued. That's Cameron's what Cameron's going to say. Cameron's going to wonder how you started off your... Um, your wee speech there by saying there's not much happens in this story, then banged oh, on for a good three and a half minutes there about um, about everything that was happening in the story. So it's one of the best departures of a Doctor Who companion. Um, it still stands up to this uh, today, as you know, as one of the best departures. It's a as we've said at the start, it's a story about uh, two defined sides of you know, progress versus tradition and two different lifestyles clashing, you know, the old the corporate structure and setup versus the kind of free living hippie movement of the, that would have been quite point at the time because we're not that far removed from the 1960s. It would have had a lot in its, it would have been impactful back then. And as a story, I would say it's probably got, you know, some impact even now. And I don't think many Doctor Who stories you can go... Yeah, the themes that were evident here are still at play now. And it leads up to the, the, the seeds are set for John Pertwee's departure, whether by serendipity or not. And I think it's a, a, a genuinely good story. It's got, you know, you, you say that, you know, the bad guy's not that bad. He wants to take over the human race. But he's he quite happy. He's it. quite happy to see death. Are you one of these people that just wants like controlled experiments for coronavirus? I Maybe if we die, you know, we'll see who dies and who doesn't he. Can that be the same attitude? No, not at all. He wants efficiency, the boss does. He wants efficiency and he wants everything to work better for the human race. He doesn't want to take over the human race. He doesn't want to control the human race. He wants to improve the human race. But in that efficiency, you're removing any kind of individualism and any kind of characteristics and forcing people who maybe break out of that to jump off balconies. Which is why That's this is pretty evil. Remi- it's reminiscent of the Cybermen. Who want efficiency above anything else. Cybermen just want to live forever. No. They necessarily want efficiency. They want to live forever. Doesn't everyone? A little life thing. No, not really. Nah. <laughs> yeah. But Cameron's from the board, does he? They want to live forever. No. Why would you? Why why would you? Well, me, and Freddie, me and Freddie Mercury. Oh no, wait, hold on. <laughs> At Cameron's age, every day he's alive is raising the average in the borders anyway. They don't live for long down there. Why have we just said I live in the borders? I don't live in the borders. It's close enough, isn't it? No, it's no. You're, pra- you're, in- you're practical in England. Everything I'm, I'm from the north now says the borders, all right? You're ignoring the jewel in uh, Scotland's uh, undercarriage that is Dumfries and Galloway. <laughs> That's always about to think of when I think of Dumfries and Galloway as undercarriage. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It is the shiny bejeweled butt plug of Scotland. <laughs> it's enjoyable to some people. <laughs> Shall we go into the listener evidence then? And we won't judge. Let's go to the listener's think, evidence. I think we it's time judge, we did. We'll expect foes. We asked uh, listeners on Twitter for their evidence for or against the Green Death. Uh, uh, largely favourable, I have to say, but we'll go for each and every single one of them. That's interesting, uh, isn't it? It's largely favourable, yeah. Yeah, who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Okay, uh, first off, we've got Alan the Wonder Horse. Uh, Alan says... John Barman will want his number. (laughs) 
Alan says, superbly crafted piece of television drama. That's it. That's all he's got to say. There you go. Well, he's right. So. Okay. Uh, Walter M says, I thought it was well done and one of the highlights of Pertwee's era in combining an ecological message with weird monsters alongside a pure lump in the throat ending. <laughs> That's bad also, again, isn't it? Also, he's correct. <laughs> After he'd taken her up the Amazon, she got a lump in her throat. <laughs> Paul Waring says, poor ending for Joe, marrying a bloke she's only just met and who rivals the doctor for patronising comments. But a gripping story. Yates gets character development at last. Environmental message ahead of its time. Boss and interesting villain, not guilty. Yep, I can see that because there, no, there was no mention of environmentalism in the 60s and 70s. Nobody said a word about it. Way ahead of its time. Ham-fisted bat vendor says, ah, it is comfort blanket. Who? Doctor. Ham-fisted... <laughs> Ham-fisted bat vendor. And I'd like to say, if I had a sock puppet account on Twitter, that would be its name. <laughs> well, we can put you in touch with him. We can, we can make this happen. When we do a live stream, that can be the sort of little lead up into it. I am now going to Google Ham-fisted bat vendor. Yeah, I think, I think it's a perfect reference because uh, he accused Joe of being a ham-fisted bun vendor. So I think it's I think it's a local take on the BAP bar. Um, oh, like BAP as in B-A-P. Ah, I thought you said BAT as in B-A-P. <laughs> as in, yeah. I thought it was a coronavirus thing. Yeah, ham-fisted bat vendor is responsible for the situation we find ourselves in right now. Yeah, well, no, well, <laughs> if we were maybe a bit careful with more careful with the bats, then we wouldn't be in the situation now. Yes. Thanks, vendor. Jesus. Yeah. So the coronavirus spreader says, uh, it is comfort blanket Doctor Who for this viewer. Rewatched for the umpteenth time after purchasing the Blu-ray set and its status remains intact. Oh, and weren't those 10th anniversary Radio Time shots taken on Arthur's seat in Edinburgh? Always meant to visit that location. Now I've looked into that and I can't find any definitive answer on this. You know the photos of like Fraser Hines and Deborah Watling on a hillside being menaced by Cybermen and Yeti? Yeah. He thinks that might be after seat. I, I don't know if it is. Like I say, I've tried to find out, but if anybody can let us know if that's the case, but it wouldn't like have been know. it wouldn't have been filmed. It would be a hell of a way to go just to do promotional shots. Surely hmm. I could be wrong, but you know. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that's the case. We can well, get up there, take a few photos, can't we? Exactly. Uh, and the final one we've had for Twitter is Irving Braxdale, who says Green Death is one of the very best. I think um, all the evidence in the public gallery. Um, would be pointing my way for this, surely. Mm. That doesn't mean they're right. I think the odds are maybe stacked against you, Dave, but there's still one more bit of evidence we still to have, and that's coming from a source that would know everything there is to know about Wales. It's time to go to our Welsh correspondent. It's time to enter the time lush. In 1976, there was a Sex Pistols gig at the Lesser Free Trade Hall in Manchester that famously has been claimed to have been attended by anyone and everyone to do with the music scene. The Green Death is the Welsh version of this. Everyone's second cousin's stepfather's uncle was involved in the production and they all have a prop in the loft somewhere from the one with the maggots. I love the opening credits for season 10 uh, and the first episodes, everything that's so good about 1970s Doctor Who. Uh, we've got one of the blokes from Crossroads, we've got the Brigadier looking like a second division football manager, Pisspoor Chroma Key and the lovely relationship between the Doctor and Joe. Uh, with the Green Death, Doctor Who was wearing politics on its sleeve a long time before Chris Chibnall was a glint in the milkman's eye. I do 
do have some issues with some of the dodgy Welsh accents. They do make me cringe. The whole look now, isn't it? See you, boy. Oh, whose boots are these shoes? Mm, it does fall a bit flat. Um, but the scenes with Joe and Bert are quite touching. And her face lights up every time he mentions a shaft. Uh, my Welsh is a bit ropey, but I'm sure one sentence translates as something about backdoors. It's great to see uh, the wonderful Talvin Thomas taking centre stage. You might remember him as a hospital porter in Spearhead from Space. Uh, he was also in Dad's Army and later in Survivors. And as much as the show is dated, most of the clothes people wear are still the height of fashion today in Neath. Professor Jones is incredibly rude and arrogant, a lot like Pertwee's Doctor. There's a real chemistry there between Stuart Bevan and Katie who were dating in real life. Uh, and I did think the Brigadier's comments about the creatures wanting to stay around the slag heap were a bit harsh on Joe. Considering it's two and a half hours long, it doesn't drag as much as I thought it would. Uh, and talking of drag, you've got John hamming it up, first as a milkman and then as a cleaning lady. Obviously before and after who, he was a comedic actor and you can see he's really relishing getting into the funny roles and gurning. Uh, I loved Dudley Simpson's incidental music, which sounds as if it's come straight from Blake 7. Throw in a bit of Venetian Aikido, and you can see Terry Walsh very clearly in a grey wig in distant shots. And John's doing his very best James Bond impersonation. And of course we get to see Bessie. The maggots themselves are neither the best or the worst effect from Doctor Who. I'm looking clearly at the dinosaur invasion for that. The fly on the other hand, not great. You can see the end coming a mile off, but when Joe decides to stay with Professor Jones, leaving the Doctor, it's the end of an era. Uh, with the sad loss of Rogers Elgardo and Manning departing, Pertwee wouldn't stay around for very much longer. And now this was a proper Doctor Who family long before any of this fan bollocks that we've got at the moment. It's a genuinely touching moment that proves that while the Green Death might be guilty of many things, it's not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Oh, and it also seems if we contract any weird viruses, we should eat fungus to cure us. It's not going to record this bit, so we'll put this bit in later. So you can just make up anything you want now. All right, no. so we, we can't hear this now? Not right now, no. All right, well, we haven't recorded it yet. Shall I give you both options? You can edit between the two of them. Yeah, let's, let's go for that, right? Well, let's have a bit of both. So either I'll just be saying, boo that man, what's he talking about? How the hell did you even let him on the show with opinions like that? Or How we can go you, for... That is shocking. That is one of our longest listeners. It was a toss-up between you and him to who get invited on the show. And, we <laughs> and now, well, all of a sudden, that, you're spitting in his poor Welsh face. That tenor, that tenor, uh, Slip Lee, worked all the wonders. Now, can I just check, is that tenor in pounds or inches? <laughs> Well, it was five times, so it was in inches. <laughs> <laughs> it's an accumulative thing. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, or we can say, what, what a brilliant piece of uh, evidence they are. Fantastic. I agree with every word. No, I can't believe you would say that, two. Cameron. No, that's wrong. I think that that just shows the Welsh nationalism coming out, and it's all entirely untrue and it's just people picking their fights based on where they're from <laughs> apparently, yeah. there's, apparently there's no Welsh word for hope <laughs> I'm told I was shown around Cardiff once by my mate who lives down there and uh, she was showing me how all the street signs have the names in Welsh and then in English but Hope Street just says Hope Street twice because she just said there's no Welsh word for hope oh if that's true that is beautiful 
Well, that's a nice positive note to end on, isn't there? It is, yeah. There you go. All so, Welsh uh, people are doomed and have no hope. No, quite literally. Right. Google, shall Google we come to this? Says that's a lie. Shall we come to decision then? Shall we? Yeah, we Let's shall. begin to wrap this up. Aye. Okay. Right. So then, how to begin summing up uh episode of Doctor Who that's held so dearly by so many? Uh, that, right. Can I just point out that was a beautifully impartial introduction? <laughs> I'm setting a scene. It's a witch hunt. <laughs> it's textbook Pertwee. I mean, all the things that even the most casual viewers fondly remember as being prime Pertwee are here. Misogyny, uh, racism, <laughs> anti-Welsh, heavy-handed environmentalist snowflake nonsense. Without lapsing into the self-indulgence that we see later on in John's last series, it contains probably the only example of classic series companion exit done right. It's a believable connection between Joe and Professor Jones, which is entirely in keeping with Joe's sort of caring, idealistic approach that she has in her character over her time in Doctor Who. I mean, it's a damn sight better than Susan, who's the second most wet companion in Doctor Who ever, you know, going off of a freedom fighter or Mel shacking up with glitz. Because it's believable, it's a more satisfying end to that character's journey. Uh, The whole unit gang are there to see her off. They all get something to do. Flaws, well, there's shonky CSO and it feels a bit stretched in places plot-wise in places but that's kind of par for the course in a six-parter isn't it and it's a familiar form at this stage of the game anyway but it does tick all the boxes of what great what's great in the Pertwee era there's tons of location filming to give us that sort of air of realness there's some great design work going on uh, there's an ensemble cast giving it one last hurrah before they slowly wind down over the coming year it's a tough call but the court therefore decides that despite some strong evidence to the contrary, the Green Death is fully deserving of a Shan Lloyd thumbs up and is therefore not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Well, I tell you what, why don't I phone for an appeal? Because that's not a surprise that you came down on Cameron's side. The fix was in from the beginning. It's not a question of taking sides, it's just the evidence that's presented to me and the story as a whole. You can't really go against the Green Death, can you? A whole two inches. <laughs> but then it's never down to us, is it? It's never... The, the decision doesn't end in the courtroom. It's always... Always put up to those people. It's you always used to down to one of those people, Cameron. I was, aye. And then I got invited. I got, I got, I got invited to the top of Olympus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strange name for my penis. <laughs> It's the one you've used before, shush. Well, like I say, it's always down to the listeners. Let's just steer away from this entirely. So you can decide, listeners, whether the original verdict stands. We're going to put a poll up on Twitter for the next seven days after this episode goes out. You can overturn the verdict. You can decide whether the degree of death is indeed guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. We'll reveal the results of the poll in the next episode, which is probably going to be in about a week or so's time. Hopefully, yeah. Oh, all going well. Now we're under house arrest. We've not really got anything else to do with our time, so we might as well pump them out quickly. Might as well. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just giggling because you said pump them out quickly. <laughs> and that's the sort of level of sophisticated humour you can expect from oncoming episodes of the Boas Box. And I'd also like to point out 
that a few minutes ago you said the wettest companion and I made no jokes whatsoever. <laughs> that's I was, I was waiting for what to happen. That, that's a whole different Twitter poll though, isn't it? Who's the yeah. wettest companion? It's something for our listeners to look forward to in the episodes that come. If I wanted a really controversial opinion, I'd go with wealth. <laughs> yeah. Should we leave it there? Yeah, let's. I, yeah. I, I think it's best we leave it there. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the Polis Box episode 22. I've been Lee. I've, I've been, been Cameron. Oh. <laughs> oh. Do it again. Oh. Second take. I've been Lee. <laughs> it's a standoff, but I've been Dave. And I've been Cameron. <clears throat> we got there in the end. Okay, that's it from us. We'll see you for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Bye. I love the way that he waved at the camera like anyone could see up there. <laughs> <laughs>